How's everybody doing today? Who enjoyed their snow days? Oh, yes. Who could not stand the snow? That's me. That's me. I'm ready. I'm ready to be done. Um, how many days off do you guys get off school? Three? Three and counting? Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You're going to school on Monday. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, no, I love snow days, man. It's, it's, uh, I don't like anything about the snow. I just like the idea of a snow day. Uh, my wife um, went outside with the girls. I have three daughters, and so in my household, it's me and, and four chicks. Well, I guess five more solos there, too. Um, but she's like, let's take them outside. And I was like, that's a great idea. Go ahead and take them in the backyard. And then uh, she took them in the backyard. And I have photos inside of the house of my wife outside of the house with the kids. And then the next day, she's like, let's go over to Reggie and Iannis because they live across the street. And I was like, cool. So then I have more photos of my wife and my four daughters or three daughters walking across the road from inside of my house because I didn't want to go outside at all. I can't stand cold weather. I can't stand snow. But I'm glad that some people who do uh, got that little bit of snow this year because I'm ready for summertime. I'm already visioning summer camps and sweet tea and lemonade on my back porch. Um, but I'm so done with all the snow weather. But I'm glad that it cleared up. I'm glad that we had some people able to take care of our building and, and get us ready and prepped for today so you guys can make it here safe and sound. Um, my name's Jake. I want to welcome you to the Crossings Church. Uh, I am the campus minister here. Um, and inside of your, your bulletins, we have some other things I want to kind of get to before we start our lesson. But inside your bulletins, there is a little uh, cardstock piece of paper um, that says, uh, Jesus said it, that settles it. And this is, a, this is an invite for our marriage retreat that's actually next weekend. And I really want to encourage any of you guys that are married um, or even engaged and, and, you're, and you're getting close to your, to your wedding date, um, this is a retreat you do not want to miss out on. Uh, as a minister, as somebody who works for this church, I, I do retreats all year round. I do men's retreats. I do campus retreats. I do kids camps. I do high school camps. I do all kinds of retreats. And this marriage retreat is hands down the most beneficial and my most favorite retreat I do all year long. And you can ask almost anybody in our church who's married, they'd say the same things. Um, because what you learn at this retreat is much more than just a getaway with your wife or, or husband, um, which that is a pro if you have young, crazy kids. Um, but there's so much more that happens because there's so much growth and development and time and to find other married couples who are struggling with the same things that you are in your marriage to be able to talk about the same things, to have people have these conversations with you. We have a special speaker. His name's Joe Beam. He's coming in this year, um, and he's going to be discussing different things uh, that he's learned throughout the years, and it's just going to be an awesome experience. And so if you guys are still interested in that, um, there's still time to sign up. It's next weekend. Uh, if you can't afford it, uh, you talk to me, and we'll make sure that you can uh, because I don't want anyone to miss out on an opportunity to strengthen their marriage, to strengthen their family, and to strengthen their individualists with God uh, because of money. So uh, mark that on your calendars if you're married or if you know somebody who is married you want to invite them out to. It's just a great, great weekend. Um, so I want to let you guys know about that. Um, now jumping in today, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Equipped, and this actual logo is our church theme. And so what we do as a church is we choose, that's really echoey, I don't know if it's maybe because I'm talking too low or not, um, but what we choose to do as a church is every year before we start a new church thing, we pick some kind of theme out in October, November about what are the needs that we have within our church? What are the needs that we have within our congregation? And I think when you look back over the last couple of years, we have uh, four churches now between the, the Midwest, and we've looked at our churches, and we send church plants out over the years, and we are one of those uh, three church plants. And I think one of the things that you'd ask anybody that came on this church plant, see, this church started about five or six years ago with about 30 people. And if you would ask any of those 30 people that came on this church plant and they look at their lives today, they would probably say that there are a lot of things that they were ready for, but there's a lot of things that they wish that they were more equipped for. There's a lot of things that they wish that they would have known beforehand, or there's a lot of issues or areas in their lives that they wish they would have been able to have down more because they didn't realize it was going to be this hard, or they didn't realize it was going to be this intense, or they didn't realize it was going to be this consistent in whatever it was in their lives. And so we decided as a leadership between all four of our churches that we need to go through a theme of being equipped. We need to know as disciples what it is to be more and more equipped in our lives. And so we're currently going through the sermon series to start the year off to kind of highlight the rest of the year to look at what it truly looks like to be equipped 
in your relationship with God so that you can use that for others. And so today, what we're going to kind of jump into is the topic of worship. And when you think about worship, and you think about just the idea of worship, um, I think about singing. You know, I, I think that's generally what most people think about when they hear the word uh, worship, is they think about singing to God. And my whole life, I've kind of grown up on that. And so my whole life, I think I've struggled with the idea of worship because I suck at singing. You know, um, anybody who knows me or stands next to me knows I'm a pretty terrible singer. Uh, there, you know, I've said it before up here on stage, but there's a running joke in the campus ministry that when we, when we baptize somebody, we sing a song and everybody wants me to lead it. And it's not because I'm like really good at it and I like bring like this emotional connection, but it's because people want to laugh at me. <laughs> um, it's because they're like, Oops, let's, let's have Jake start it this time. Hey Jake, you want to start this song this time? And every single time it happens and I'm like, nope, where is Alalua, where is Max, where literally anybody besides me can start this song. Um, but when I kind of dug into this sermon today and I looked through scripture, I realized that worship is much more than singing. You see, worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God for who he is, what he's done, what he said, and what he's promised to do. And if inside your bulletins, there is a little, uh, there's a little sheet for notes as well. So if you guys want to kind of follow along, there's, there's little blanks that you guys can follow on as well. But when we think about worship, in, in a nutshell, through what the Bible says, worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God for who he is, what he's done, what he's said, and what he's promised to do. Now, it doesn't say singing in there. So I could look at this and be like, shoot, I don't have to sing anymore. You know, like it doesn't say singing our love and gratitude to God. So I can do it in other ways. But what we're going to find out today is that singing is an element of it, but singing is not all of it. So I'm not off the hook. You know? And so we're going to talk about that today as well. But just in a nutshell, sing, you know, worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God. It says in Mark 12, 29 and 30, it says, The most important command is this one. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And so when you partner this, this point with this verse you understand that worship has to be everything. Worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God with everything. Our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. Now, what we're going to start today is we're going to talk about how we're equipped to express our love to God. You see, because God has equipped us with different ways to express our love. But there are certain things that we need to understand and realize as we, as we figure this out to express our ways of love to God. And the first one is that we need to realize we were made to be loved by God. We were made to be loved by God. And a lot of people would hear that and say, wait, 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 I thought, I thought we were made to love God. I thought, I thought that this was something that we were supposed to give to God. And yeah, that is a point of why we were created, to give God love. But we need to understand first and foremost that we were made to be loved by Him. You see, in 1 John 4, 19, it says we love because God first loved us. We have to realize that God has always loved us first. And that's a huge piece of why we choose to love God. And here's why. Think about if you're a mother or a father or, you know, even as a kid. Who loves first in the context? A mother or the child? The mother, right? Because the baby doesn't understand how to give love. The baby doesn't understand what love looks like. But only through time, as a good mother or father loves their child, in response, that child will love their parents back, right? So it's so important for us to understand that God is the same way. See, God has always loved us first, and God loves us first for a reason, because he knows through his love to us that then and only then will we realize how much God should mean to us just like a mom or a dad. As much as you love your child, you want to give them that love in return and hopes one day that that child will choose to love you back because of what you provided for them. God has done the same for us from the beginning. It says in Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and this gave him great pleasure. You see, before we were even born, I'm trying to find my mute on my thing, um, 
There we go. Before we were even born, God was choosing to love us. He had this plan set out for us long, long ago. And for a lot of us, we look at that and we were like, I don't, I don't feel God's love. I, I, don't, I don't see God's love in my situation. I don't, I don't know how God could love me in this, in this window. But what you need to know is that God made you so he could love you. God created you so he could love you. And for a lot of us, that brings a lot of peace. A lot of us, that brings a lot of hope. That brings maybe a future that, that looks a lot differently than what we're in right now. But we have to realize this. We have to realize that we were made to be loved by God. That will help equip us to express that love back to him. The second point is, is that we have to understand everything comes from God. We have to understand everything comes from God. <clears throat> it says in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, it says, These gifts do not really come from me and my people. Everything comes from you. We only give back, we only give you back what you've given us. And once again, well, once we realize everything comes from the Creator, once we realize everything comes from God, it helps us express our worship to him down the road. Because see, what happens is through life, we start to have our own accomplishments, right? We start to have our own achievements. We start to do things in our lives that we think we've made ourselves. You know, shoot, I snagged up this wife. This is all me, you know? This is, this is all me. Or, man, I worked my butt off. I got this job. This is all me, you know? Whatever it may be, it's because I created it. It's because I did it in my life. And once, our, once those things start lining up for us in life, we take that focus off of the creator who made everything and we say, I don't really have to give him everything anymore. You know, because now I can, I can credit myself with a little bit. And that worship focus comes away from us or away from God and it, and it puts more focus on us. And so we start to lose this focus. But we have to realize through this verse and through this point that it's not just you didn't land that job. I hate to tell you guys that today, but if you got some job that you worked your butt off for, you went to school for, it's not because of what you did. Through God's word, it's, it's because of what God has given you. If you have this awesome family, you know, you got kids that, that love you or are loyal to you and, and they're married off or, you know, you have a great household, you have a great family, that's not because of anything you did. It's because God's put you in that context for a reason. God has given you great things. God has given you good things. Nothing on this earth comes from self. Nothing on this earth comes from earth. But everything on this earth comes from God. And God says you have to remember that. You have to understand that. You have to remember that. Because then and only then, once you realize every single thing on this earth comes from me, that will help equip you to worship me the way that you're supposed to. But when you start forgetting and you start thinking that these things don't come from me, that's when you start to stop worshiping me the way that I call you to. And so we have to understand everything comes from God. The third point is we have to learn we understand life through worship. We learn we understand life through worship. In Psalm 73, 16 and 17, it says, I tried to understand everything, but it was all too hard for me to see until I went to the temple of God. Then I understood what was happening. You see, life is hard. Uh, you know, our, our college ministry is about to start a book. Our leadership's already started it. It's called Surviving Religion 101. Um, it's a great book. It's, you know, a, a man, um, he went to college and 30 years later, his daughter is going to the same college, and uh, it's the University of North Carolina, the, the UNC Tar Heels, and she starts her freshman year there, and so her dad decides to write this book about um, college experiences, things that he has experienced, and it's nice because our college minister is getting a glimpse of this, and what it is is each chapter is a, is, is a letter that he's written to his daughter about what she's about to experience, and it was just published last year, so it's current topics too. So like some of the chapters are titled like, is it really unloving to, you know, to, or how do I deal with same-sex LGBT community? How, how is it that my professors, they're smarter than me, so shouldn't they be right? Or 
you know, how am I supposed to survive on a college campus? And he hits all these hot topics that college kids talk about. But one of the things that is, is, is identified in one of the chapters is that you know, college kids are going to get hit with hard questions about hard things. If God is really God, why would he do this? Why is there so much evil in the world? Why do people die before their time? And he starts asking all these hard questions and saying college kids aren't prepared for these questions because they don't necessarily know how to answer them. And I agree with that. And I'd agree that it doesn't matter if you're a college student or you're a 60-year-old, you know, widow. You don't know how to answer that question either. But what we realize is that through worship, we start to understand the hard aspects of life. You know, it's so weird that I'm about to share this, but I've had a long week. It's been just kind of weird. And it's not like long, like I had a bunch of work, but it's just been a weird week. And last night I really couldn't sleep. And I was kind of up and down in my schedule. I was, I, I woke up four or five times in the middle of the night. And every once in a while I dream, but I don't dream very often. Um, usually when I dream, it's about like games. <laughs> and like I'll, like literally a lot of my camp games that I make up for our kids in the summer times are through dreams. Like we'll play the game at summertime and they'll be like, how did you make this game up? I said, dude, I literally had a dream and I woke up and I wrote it down. Like that's usually what I dream about. Um, but last night, and it was probably... I mean, I probably woke up around five or six. So this is like th- this is like four or five hours ago. I had this dream that I was at my grandma and grandpa's house, and uh, my dad was there, and he was sick, and he was sitting in a bedroom that I used to sleep in whenever I would go visit my grandma and grandpa. My grandma and grandpa lived in Brighton, um, and I was sitting there and I was having a conversation with my dad. And he was sick, and you could tell he was trying to get his life together. And I had my daughter Bo with me, and I put her on the bed, and she crawled up to him. And my dad was like, I can't hold her yet. She's, I'm sick. You know, and he came back to me. And I had this conversation with my dad for a while. And um, I was like, Dad, I got to go. I'm having zone in the next room. And my college leaders were there with me. And I heard him in the, in the side room. Um, I said, but I'm going to have, like, Reggie Connolly come visit you because Reggie lives in Brighton. And, like, literally I'm in the other room having the zone, and I, and I watch Reggie walk up these stairs at my grandma's house, and he's got a bag of tomatoes from the summertime. I got to watch Reggie walk in there with my dad and just have a good conversation. And then I woke up. And it was... It was the most pleasant dream I've ever had because it brought hope to my life. And it was nice. Um, but what you guys don't know is that I haven't seen my dad probably in over a decade. And I found out last year that he, uh, he was found dead in a motel because he overdosed on death. So I ask questions like, why do I have dreams like that, you know? And I will never know the answer to questions like that. I will never have the answers to why there's so much evil in the world. I'll never have answers to why God does the things that he does. But I do know through my life, I have given myself to worship. I've given myself to God wholeheartedly. And he's helped me understand life, not necessarily understand all the hard things, but he's helped me understand why things have happened to me in certain ways. And there are still tough questions that I don't understand. I had a, I had a rough spout with miscarrying twins in our first pregnancy. That why would he do that to me? I've had lots of whys, and I've had lots of hard questions. But I've learned through the years that when I've given myself to God, through worship he's revealed certain things to me he's revealed that as a campus minister I felt multiple college students here with their dad problems I say that because I look at guys like Craig look at guys like Marcus back there J-Tone, Reggie, David 
And I say, God wouldn't have been able to use me and those friends in my life if it wasn't for what happened to me. And it's only because I let God work in me in those hard moments. I'm trying to get myself together here, but I can't. It just keeps coming. Um, I don't cry very often, so when I do, it just keeps going. So you guys might be in for a long sermon today. <laughs> but God has used me in tremendous ways, in ways that I don't think other people could be used in. And I don't say that to be arrogant because I don't wish for people to have the lives that I have. But I know that God desperately wants people like me and people like you guys in the crowd that have the same hurts and the same hardships to know that those things that God has done to you that maybe you struggle with and you wrestle with, God wants you to, to use those things for other people. And only, only whenever you choose to worship God wholeheartedly in your life, you will realize the purpose for the hard things that have happened to you. But like I said, there will still be windows where you don't understand and you won't understand. But God has made it a lot, a lot easier in my walk, in my road, in my path, that today I can be a father to three daughters. Um, I can have an amazing wife. Despite miscarriages, despite not having a dad, God has still blessed me with things that I shouldn't have because of the things that have happened to me that I still question. And I'm grateful and I give God all of my worship because of those things. And so with those hard things in your life, I want to challenge you to ask the question, have you truly worshipped God in the way that he calls you to, to help give you the peace of mind in those areas of your life? Or do you still doubt and you're unwilling to give God those areas of your life? The fourth point is that we need to acknowledge God strengthens us through worship. We need to acknowledge God strengthens us through worship. It says in Psalms 18, 28 to 32, it says, You, Lord, keep my lamp burning and turn darkness to light. You help defeat the enemies of my life. Your way is perfect, Lord, and your word is correct. You are a shield for those who run to you for help. You give me strength and you guide me right. You see, once again, uh, worship helps strengthen us. Worship helps get us through those hard times. Um, once again, this college book that we're reading through, you know, it talks about how can I really be right if I'm the minority on campus? Because once you walk into a college setting, you realize very quickly if you're a Christian, you're a minority. And this book kind of digests like, am I really doing the right things if I'm, if I'm the minority? And once again, it's not just college that we're the minority if we're a disciple, if we're a Christian. It's everything. In high school, you're the minority. In college, you're the minority. In your workplace, you're the minority. And so we start wondering, you know, and if you know anything about minorities, if you are a minority, you know that you feel weak. You feel lesser. You feel like you have an uphill battle the rest of your life. And God says, listen, you are the minority, and you're going to feel weak. But through this worship that I want to give you, through the right way to worship, it, it will equip you to be strong. It will equip you to realize that even though you may be the minority on this earth, it will still strengthen you to, to persevere through this life that you have to live. It will keep my lamp burning, like it says in the verse. It will give you strength and guide you right. So when we can acknowledge that God strengthens us through worship, these four traits will help give us more equipping to express our love to God. Because when we realize these things in our lives, it is undeniable to not want to worship God. It is undeniable to know that if these things can happen for me, I truly want to be able to give God the worship he deserves. I want that from God. So, what kind of worship does God love? Let's just jump right into that real quick. It's, it's a simple question. It's wholehearted worship. What kind of worship does God love? Wholehearted worship. It says in 2 Chronicles, Chronicles 31, 21, says, Hezekiah dedicated his life to serving God. Everything he did in worship in God's temple, he did wholeheartedly. As a result, he was very successful and prospered. You see, God wants everything to be done wholeheartedly. When it comes to him, and we talked about this at the beginning in Mark 12, all of your heart, all of your soul, 
all of your mind. God wants wholehearted worship. He wants everything that we do in our lives to come towards him wholeheartedly. So then what's the opposite of that? What God hates is insecure, heartless worship. God hates insecure, heartless worship. And, you know, when we think about insecure, heartless worship, it's, it's very, I'll, I'll say it this way, it's very routine worship, you know? And now we're going to talk a little bit about singing um, because we, we have to touch on it, and we'll touch on it a little bit more later too. But I think a lot of times when we think about worship and we think about coming to church and we think about the songs that we sing and we think about just being in, in a congregation, um, it's very easy to memorize things, you know? In, in a way that it takes our emotions and our heart out of it and it puts more of our just memory into it. You know, we sing, we sing tons of church songs and it's very easy to not have to necessarily watch the words. Um, but everything that we do can be very insincere, right? It can be very insincere in how we handle things um, because we're just, re- we're just reciting things. Listen to this in Isaiah 29. It says, These people say they're mine, but they honor me only with their lips. Their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me amounts to nothing more than human traditions that they have memorized. Right? And is that not any different than what we're talking about when we talk about worshiping? Right? That when we come to church and we hear a song, and we just sing it because we know the words? Or like when you hear a song on the radio, same kind of thing, right? You just sing it because you know the words, or it's got a catchy beat. But like it doesn't like transform you or change you. Um, anybody like a teacher's mindset, right? You've, you've probably said this before to your students, right? That you say, you hear me, but you're not really listening to what I'm trying to tell you, right? We've, we've, we've said that before. Or if you have kids, right? You hear what I said, but you're not really listening because your character hasn't changed because of that, right? And God says the same thing about worship. He says, you hear what I'm saying, and you're giving me something, but you're not really listening to what you're saying because your worship doesn't show the same thing. This is in John 4, 23. It says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. Spirit and truth. You see, there should be an emotional connection to our worship because it's dying to self. It's, it's a whole heart. It should, there should be an emotion that comes out of that. But also, once we know that the truth of, of what we have, what you believe, if you believe Jesus died on the cross and you believe you call yourself a Christian, then your worship will, will show up consistently through the truth. You won't be a sporadic, you know, hypocritical, and I'm here on Sundays, but then the rest of my week I do whatever. That's not believing in truth. That's a hypocritical stance. And so when we look at that idea of what God looks like when he talks about worship, we have to, we have to very clearly separate the two categories of what wholehearted worship looks like and what insincere, heartless worship looks like. And we're going to kind of pick through that a little bit as we walk through these different, these different traits or these different ways of worship, these different ways to tell God that you love him. Um, and that's what, kind of what we're going to kind of end on today is just um, seven different ways that we can show God we love him. These are different ways to worship. And this is one of the things, before we even get into this, this is something I, I kind of want you guys to understand, that just because you do one of these does not exempt the other six. You know? Or just because you do six of these does not exempt the one that you don't want to do. You see, because whenever God talks about worship, he's not saying, find the ones you like through my word and do those. Find the ones you're good at and do those. Find the ones that are easy for you and do those. He says, your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, you die to self, you die to me, you do what I say. And so when we choose to look through these worship things, I already know as I walk through these in my own weakness that some of you guys will probably have problems with what I'm about to say, you know, but I don't care (laughs) because it's not my job to sugarcoat things for you guys. It's my job to bring the seriousness of God's word into our lives so we can do the things that he's called us to do his way, not our way. And so as we walk through these, I want to challenge you, but I don't care if I hurt your feelings because, guys, it hurts my feelings to read it myself. But only and only whenever I choose to listen and I choose to hear and I choose to look and, and apply these challenges to my life, I start to find the promise and the blessings of what God has to do for me. So 
you know, I want to make a note too before we even start these, that when we talk about worship in general, watching worship is not worship, okay? Experiencing worship with other people is not worship. You know, there is a reason why here at the Crossing Church we worship the way that we do. This is not a performance. This is not a stage up here. It's, it's literally like a foot off the ground, right? Like, I'm not much taller than some of you. If Brett was standing right here, we'd probably be eye to eye right now. Like, there, there's not some giant stage that we want you guys to sit back and relax and enjoy the show and that we're just going to have all the lights off in this room. And we're not creating an experience. Worship is not a spectator sport. Worship is meant to be engaged in. The worship team up here is to ignite the bomb in the room not to just create a showcase for everyone to listen and say, that was beautiful. You know, that's not what it is. If you want that, go, go listen to a concert, all right? There's no concert here. It's a wholehearted, everyone is a part of it, everyone's participating. To watch is not to worship. So in every single one of these areas that we talk about, think about that. Are you watching in these areas of your life? Or are you participating in these areas of your life? So the first way we can show God worship is by listening and responding to God's word. So once again, not only am I 0 for 1 because I don't like singing and I'm not a good singer, but now I have to read. <laughs> 0 for 2 for Jake because Jake doesn't like singing or reading, all right? I'm a PE major. I don't like, yeah, I don't like singing. I don't like reading. But once again, here we are, cut in, in, a, in a bad place for Jake um, to challenge his heart. Right, Because in Deuteronomy 31, 12, it says, Gather all the people together, men, women, children, and immigrants living in your towns, so everyone can listen and learn to respect the Lord and carefully obey everything in his word. You see, reading is a way of worship. Digesting God's word is a way to worship. But that in itself is not worship. I hope you guys caught that. Just because you read the Bible does not mean you're worshiping. Because it says everyone can listen and learn. Circle those two together because they go hand in hand. Because then it says you do that to respect the Lord and carefully obey. You see, a lot of us think that just because we become Bible scholars, just because we know everything the Bible says, that's enough. But God says that's nothing. That's that, that's that insincere part that we talked about. Because to have the knowledge without the application is not worship. And so God says you have to listen and not just listen and not just know, but also respond to it. We have to apply these things. John 13, 17, now you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them, right? It doesn't, it doesn't say, now you know these things, you're blessed. Now you know, right? It says, now that you know these things, or it doesn't say that in this, but you can infer that. Now you know these things, you'll be blessed if. So what's after if? Do. It's application. And so, guys, to truly worship God in this first context, in this first sense, is that you can't just read the Bible. You can't just know the childhood stories. You don't just need to know about Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark. You don't just need to hear these stories. You need to apply the principles that are brought about by God's Word in your life. Do you have more knowledge and application? You know, I'd beg that... The Bible's not that hard. You know, there's a lot of, like... There's a lot of depth in it. But coming from like a PE teacher who doesn't like reading, the Bible is not a hard like principle to understand. I'm, if, if you've never read the Bible, I'm going to give you a quick little synopsis of what happens towards the end. We're all sinners. Synopsis probably isn't the right word because I'm, I'm, I'm a PE teacher, like I said. I hear English majors mumbling in here. Um, summary. That's a good, that's the right word, right? Yeah, summary. I'm going to give you a brief little summary. Once again, it shows my, my education level, right? So, here's a summary of the New Testament. We're all sinners. Everyone in this room is a sinner, right? Jesus came, died on a cross for our sins to give us an opportunity to have a relationship with God. The, the response he wants from us is to die to ourselves and now do what he says. That's it. 
Did I leave anything out? Is there anything that I was wrong in that statement? That's the gist of the Bible. You don't have to go to 20 years of Bible school to know that. You also don't need to go through 20 years of Bible school to apply that. Now, yes, I'm not saying don't read the Bible, guys, because I just told you everything. <laughs> I'm not saying that because the Bible gives us equipping. The Bible gives us strategy. The Bible gives us strength. The Bible gives us encouragement. The Bible gives us new insight. The Bible gives us different perspectives. The Bible helps round out that principle. So, yes, we need God's word to help us in our context, and that's why we should always consistently be looking for knowledge to help us train in the areas that we're in. But the general idea of the Bible is not complicated. It's not. But so many people would choose to rather listen, but never do. They want to know everything and Bible thump people and come across as just very arrogant, ignorant people, but yet they don't want to do. But God says, listen, it's very simple. Here's what's going on. Do these things, but only do them because you're listening and reading them through my word. That's how you worship me. Number two. This is not the fun one to talk about. By singing to him with our whole hearts. It just brings a drop in my stomach. <laughs> just saying it out loud. To worship God is to sing to him with our whole hearts. This is one of my biggest weaknesses it, it just in my life as a disciple. I've been challenged on this multiple times in my life. The way that I choose to worship, the way that I talk about singing. It says in Psalms 32, 11, it says, Celebrate God, sing together, everyone, all of you with honest hearts, raise the roof. I like that message paper. You like that? I threw that in there. Raise the roof. <laughs> right? But singing then with our whole hearts, and we're going to plant here for a second because we need to talk about singing. Um, this is an area that I think, honestly, more times than not, men tend to struggle with. So there's a little extra emphasis going on for the men in this room that I want you guys to listen to this. But in general, this is for everyone when it comes to worship. Um, you see, we have to sing to God. We have to give him our energy. We have to give him our excitement. We have to give him our emotion. It is a part of worship. I'm a big Kansas Jayhawks fan, right? You guys that know me know that I am a huge Kansas Jayhawks fan. And the Kansas Jayhawks play in this field house called the Allen Fieldhouse. And many, many sports writers, many, many sports announcers, a lot of people who have visited the Allen Fieldhouse say it is the most electrifying coliseum in all sports in all of the world. As an indoor venue, it has broken the Guinness World Record for the loudest sound in an indoor stadium in the entire world. And I was at that game. Um, I'll talk about that in a minute. But that's, that's how insane this place is, right? And so I've been there a couple times. Um, I've taken some of our college students, and they thought it was insane too, even if you're not a Kansas fan. It's just the environment that it brings is crazy. But anyway, I was at that game. They broke the Guinness World Record. They were playing West Virginia, so I had Danny with me. Danny Langford, he's uh, somebody who goes to our church out in Wentzville. He's kind of like a dad to me, um, but he's from West Virginia. And so Kansas-West Virginia is like a big rivalry, right? And so it's the first game I've, I've ever went to at, Kansas, at, the, at the Allen Fieldhouse. And I brought my daughter Peyton. And Peyton was about one at the time, so she was about the size of, of Bo. And I didn't know what to expect. And so my wife was there, I was there, Danny was there, and Peyton was there. And uh, right before the game starts, they're like, get loud. We're going to get loud. We're going to break this record tonight. Let's get loud. And it starts going crazy, right? And you start hearing this wave of people just get loud and everybody stand up screaming. And all these little kids are bringing in like earplugs. I'm like, why are all these little kids bringing earplugs into this place? Like, it's, it's a basketball game. I just thought it was going to be cool. I literally felt like I was in a war and a grenade went off next to me and I couldn't hear anything. That's how loud it was. I couldn't hear anything. Make sense of that. I, I felt like I couldn't hear anything because of how loud it was. I had Peyton tucked, can you ask Katie? I had her tucked in my thick coat because I thought she was going to go deaf. As a one year, I thought I was going to get DHS call or whatever it's called on me because this was child abuse. Like, I thought that's how bad this was. I was like, this is not good. It was so loud, right? We broke the Guinness World Record right there. Now, what's crazy is 
in that game, Kansas was down by like 13 points. And this is like a you know, top two, top 10 teams at the time. Kansas down like 13 points, like two minutes left. So at that point, usually a team can run the clock out, whatever. Kansas comes back. They hit a three-pointer right before the interregulation to go to overtime. The record was broke a second time that night when that shot went down. And everybody's going crazy, but here I am with my kid being like, yes, yes. Like, I, I wanted to celebrate with everybody else, but like, I didn't want my kid to go deaf. Like, you could tell every single person in that field house wanted to be there besides Danny. <laughs> Danny was, <laughs> was in a sea of blue and red with his little arms crossed and he's got his glasses on. He's like, oh. <laughs> but like, you knew he liked the environment. He just didn't like what was going on, right? And it was crazy how electrifying that was, right? And how insane the environment was. And you could tell every single person who was there wanted to be there because of their engagement level, because of their excitement, because of their emotions that had drawn into that. The Allen Fieldhouse itself, literally Kansas Jayhawks, that stadium seats about 18,000 people. You know what's crazy is that every seat in that stadium is sold out because every seat is held by a season ticket holder. There's only one section in that entire field house that is not reserved, and that's the student section. And the college students will camp out for days outside in tents to make sure they can run in there an hour before game time and get in the front rows. And so if you want to sit, if you want to go to a game, you have to scalp tickets off of a season ticket holder who throws theirs up on StubHub because they just got something else going on. That's, that shows that people want to be there. And as excited as I can get at that and how energetic those people can be, why is it that we are willing to go to that length to have that much energy, to show that much emotion in something we're so passionate about, and then we look like duds in a church on Sunday? Why is that? And I'm not just talking about our church, but I am kind of talking about our church too. I'm very, I'm very disappointed in myself, but also in our congregation. Because I, when I look out in the world and I see a lot of you guys and what you guys are into and what you guys are about, you bring way more energy and way more excitement and way more passion into the things you do outside of this building. But then when we worship our God, we don't bring that same passion and energy and excitement. And as much as I love the Kansas Jayhawks, I have a little Christmas tree in my basement for the Kansas Jayhawks, dedicated to them. I love the Kansas Jayhawks. But the Kansas Jayhawks, guys, i got to be honest with you, they're just a team. They haven't made me a better dad. They haven't changed my trajectory in life. They haven't changed the product of my environment to break me into something new. They're just a team at the end of the day. But God has. God has changed all those things in my life. And for a lot of you guys, he's changed yours too. What has he pulled you out of? What kind of lives does the rest of your family have that you don't have? What kind of marriage do you have that you know, other married couples don't have? What do you have that God has brought to you, yet whenever we sit here and we see words that say awesome things to worship our God, we don't treat him the same way that we treat the things we're passionate about in the world? Why is that? I would beg to, 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 to bring the point up that maybe we're not as passionate about God as we think that we are. Or we're very selfish in our worship to say, I'm going to worship God the way that I want to worship God. And I'm saying this completely out of weakness because this is who I am. You know, I did the children's classroom, or I did the children's lesson today with the teachers before this too. And one of the things they wanted me to bring up, and I, I, I agree with them 100%, is they wanted me to bring up the point that they're very discouraged because the kids come in here and they sing behind you guys and they watch you. And why is it that our little kids are way more excited and energetic to worship our God than their parents? Why is it that they're so more excited and energetic to worship their God than their role models in this room? Because you guys are that. If you're a high school student, you're a college student, if you're just an adult, and these kids look up to you guys, and they see the way you worship, they see the way that you clap, or that you don't, and they're going to model that. Or at one point in their life, they're going to find that realization that like Santa Claus ain't real, and they're going to be very disappointed because they think that there's this highlight of what a Christian should look like, and then they're going to come to reality that that's not really what's going on in this church building. They're getting so hyped up in there about something, and they're going to think it's all make-believe once they come out here and see the reality of life. 
And I'm guilty of that just as much as anyone else in here. But guys, I'm wanting to challenge you on that because I'm challenging myself. I think God made worship and singing an unnatural thing on purpose because he wants to test our faith, especially for men. It's very unnatural for athletes and, and outdoorsmen and, and, and hunters and, 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 and just men, men, you know. It's, it's unnatural for us to be vulnerable to sing. And I think God says, yeah, I did that on purpose. Let me see if you're really about me or not. You know what most of us are? We're sellouts. We'll sit like this, watch the words. Maybe we'll put a little pep in our, in our feet, bounce a little bit, you know. Maybe we'll get some clapping going. But if somebody's next to us not clapping, oh, it's going to be weird and put back in the pocket, you know. I've seen it for years, Roman in the churches. Why are our men not leading the church in worship just like they're supposed to in every area of this congregation? We don't mind throwing money in it. We don't mind showing up to set something up. But man, when it's a singing thing, well, let's leave that to the women. It's it's a challenge, but it's the truth, guys. And when we can choose to, to raise up and lead this church as men in every other area, we can't leave singing off the list because we don't like it. So when you choose to look like that when it comes to worshiping your God, you're choosing to set an example for the rest of the congregation saying, I'm not really about this. That's what it is. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, so I'm just going to leave that there for you guys to dissect later <laughs> with other people. Um, talk about that today in your small groups. <laughs> um, the third point, by talking to God together in prayer. By talking to God together in prayer. Um, I think we all know this one. Prayer is a huge one. But there's a power in being together. In Acts 1.14, it says, They all join together consistently in prayer. I think there's a power that comes together when we choose to unite with other people. In Romans 1.12, we must help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. You know, every, every fall before we start a campus semester, we do something called a prayer revolution. And it's just a time that we try to set our minds and our hearts together in attacking the next semester. And so we have this prayer revolution where we challenge people to have prayer partners and they, and they call somebody once a day and they pray about what's about to happen on this college campus or what's going on in their lives currently. And we'll get up on campus and we'll pray as like a group of 15 or 20 students. We'll just walk around and pray for the university. Um, and we'll just have daily specific topics that we want to pray about. And it's undeniable in our campus ministry, if you're a part of our college ministry, that things are different whenever we're in a prayer revolution, right? It just, it just feels like there's things going on that weren't outside of this. And I think that when we pray individually, we get an aspect of worship, but we don't, we, don't get the whole, we don't get the whole effect. Because I think when we choose to bring other people into our prayer lives, God looks at us and says, they get it. They finally get it. Because this whole prayer thing they've been thinking has been, has been between me and them, a one-on-one thing. But they finally understood, just like prayer, everything else in life is meant to be a team effort. I provided people in their life for them to be able to have things have other people to work through issues with, to be able to work and strengthen themselves towards me. And prayer is no different. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, like, my prayer life is kind of personal, you know? No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's relational. God is the creator of relationships. God is the DNA of what a relationship should look like. So he knows more than anyone that he created us to have relationships with other people, and our prayer lives have to be partnered with that as well. So when we have this idea of prayer life, it should be in together in unison with other people. You have to find other people. If you don't pray with other people, I want to challenge you to do that, to find other people in your life that you guys can have in your lives to challenge your prayer life, to have somebody randomly call you and say, hey, I've been, I've been hearing about what's going on with your life. I want to be able to pray with you. Is it okay if we pray together? Or just call somebody like, hey, you know, you want to pray with me because of what's going on in my life? Like, I, I want to bring other people into this because this is an issue that I don't think I can handle by myself. And so prayer life is huge, but it's not just about praying that brings the worship. There's a togetherness in that as well. So we have listening and responding to God's word. We have singing to him with whole hearts. We have talking to God in prayer. And then we have by sharing the Lord's Supper together. In 1 Corinthians 11.25, it says, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. 
So do this often in remembrance of me. You see, this is why here at the Crossings Church, we take communion every week. Um, we feel that it's, it's an honest form of worship to God, but it's, it's a piece of worship that we truly need to redirect our lives towards God. Communion is a, is a way to look at your past week and either look at areas that you need forgiveness in that Jesus has clearly forgiven you for, but also as a way to look towards our future week and reset and realign our mindset on what we should really be doing with our lives. It's an opportunity to reflect and to remember, and when we choose to do that with our lives, we choose to realize that we truly are worshiping God. So in a minute, we're going to take communion. And while we take this communion, I want you guys to truly think about this idea of what, what, this, what this element of worship is meant to be. Because when we choose to look at the bread, when we choose to look at the juice, we're choosing to remember God. And we're choosing to remember Jesus in the flesh and what he did. And when we choose to remember those things, it should set in us a conviction, but also set in us a compelling heart to do something different. And God says when, when that's what communion does to you, that's true worship. It's not insincere. It's not just taking it and joking around about it and moving on with your life, but that's true worship when you can take it seriously to the point that it will change your, your trajectory of your future. It will change this next week or it will make you take things from past weeks more seriously to address in the future. So I'm going to say a prayer. We are going to take communion and then we're going to wrap this up real quick. Um, guys, I want to thank you again just four different elements of worship. Uh, you know, there are areas definitely here that I struggle with. But God, first and foremost, I have to realize that in the midst of struggling in all these areas, you provided me an opportunity and a chance to continue to work on them through forgiveness because of what your son did on the cross. And God, I pray that as we take this communion, we can remember literally what Jesus did on the cross for us and not just with insincere hearts, take it like a normal routine. But God, we can ponder, we can think about it, we can reflect on it, and we can look at our lives and say, what have I done to glorify this moment in life? What have I done that needs to change so that I can show true seriousness, true repentance, but also feel the grace of true forgiveness? And God, when we think about those things, it should compel us to have something different looked at this week. And so thank you again for your son. Thank you again for the opportunities to think about these things. Um, and I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Point five kind of flows well with point four because when we take a Lord's Supper like that, it's easy to put point five into effect by, by recommitting our lives to God is an awesome way to show worship. Because when you take things like communion and you look at your life and you reflect on your lifestyle, um, recommitting to what you've committed to in the first place is a, is a great example of how to, how to worship God. It says in Romans 12, 1, it says, Because of God's great mercy to you, offer your lives as living sacrifices to Him, dedicated to serving Him in a holy and pleasing way. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so, guys, recommitting our lives to God shows worship because it shows that we truly are dying to self. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about that later as well, but just this idea that your life is no longer yours. That's how you worship God. You commit everything that you do to God. Every, everything that you own, everything that you do with your time, everything that, every relationship that you are invested in, every single thing that you do is committed to God. That shows true and ultimate worship. Because I feel like sometimes people try to... Try to I'm going on brain farts here today for some reason. But they try to put God in a certain corner, right? And they say that this area of my life is committed to God for sure. My Sunday mornings, you know, college, Tuesday night cross chats, high school Wednesday night cross chats, adults, your small group times, whatever those days are throughout the week. Those are, those are my, you know, those are my committed to God's. But I'm going to be myself at work, you know. I'm going to be myself at school, I'm going to be myself in my free time, whenever I'm at the house by myself. 
Like, I'm not going to commit those areas to God because that's for me. And God says, listen, to offer your life as a living sacrifice, you can't cut your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't divide your heart, like, like a literal heart. Like, you couldn't cut parts of your heart out and say, this part of my heart is for this. Because it wouldn't survive on itself, right? This part of my heart is for this. Because when you, when you cut things and you make a sacrifice, it all dies, right? And the same should be said about how we choose to worship God and how we commit our lives to God is we can't cut little pieces out. We have to take the whole heart and say, this is for God. And then we just continue to presume our lives. And so we have to make sure that our lives are living sacrifices and, and what that looks like. Point six is by giving back some of what God has given us. Well, now we got to talk about money. You know, now we got to talk. We're talking about a lot of topics today that we don't want to talk about, right? And in this context, there, money is a part of this, but once again, just like worship is singing, it's not all of what God's talking about giving. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, On the Lord's day, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and give it back as your offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord helps you earn. Isn't that some stuff? You know, like, when you read that, you're like, ain't, ain't that a trap? It's, it's you know, somebody said, somebody said something like this. I can't remember who told me this, but I don't know if it was a real story or if it was just something like a parable somebody made up. But they're like, this, this couple, this engaged couple, walk into a jeweler's store, and they walk up to the jeweler, and the, and the, the fiancé says, the, the man, he says, uh, we're getting married, and I want to... I want to give my wife something nice, but I'm not sure how much you're supposed to spend on wedding rings. What do you think? I, you know, what's, what's a good number that I should kind of work around? And the jeweler worked on commission, so he leaned over the table very keenly and said, uh, well, you should spend on her what you think she's worth. She gave him that little... And there's rings in the store from $300 to $300,000, you know? And so where does she fall on that spectrum, you know? About three seventy five, dollars <laughs> You know, like somewhere down, you know, just where, wherever it may be, you know? Uh, depending on his response was going to be the reaction she's going to give him, right? Does God not trap us the same way here? Oh, the amount depends on how much the Lord's helped you earn, Right? Because didn't we just learn earlier that everything comes from God? So didn't God give us everything that we've earned? So once again, the amount depends on how much the Lord helped you earn. So let's do the math here. That was one thing I was good at in school. That if God's given us everything, we should give him everything back. And that doesn't exclude our finances. Now, I'm not saying you made 600 bucks this week. You're saying, oh, right, here's 600 bucks, God. I guess I'm homeless. You know, I don't, think, I don't think that's what God wants us to do either. You know, I don't think that's the context here. But what I do think he's saying is everything that you earn, even financially with your money, every dollar should go to God. Well, you're saying, how does that work? All right, well, I'm going to help some of you guys out in this room because you're going to need some of this, okay? So how does it show up whenever, like, how does, how does my money help God whenever I go to, I don't know, lunch after church? Man, I got some ramen noodles at the house. That's like 10 cents. I, I ain't got money for this restaurant. It's 10 or 12 bucks. I, don't, I, got, I need to save that. How does that 10 or 12 dollars help God versus the, the money? Okay, well, here's a couple things. One, you get to fellowship with other disciples. Two, there may be guests coming around that maybe are visiting our church that you may follow up with. Three, you may be a guest that's visiting that wants to know more about God, and maybe if this is the area of opportunity to meet other Christians and spend time with them, that might be an investment worthwhile. Four, there may be a waiter or a waitress there that maybe you have an opportunity with because you went and visited that restaurant versus going home by yourself. Do I need to go on? That $12 means a lot of money. It goes a long way in an investment in God's kingdom. Okay? Oh, what about my kid? Uh, how does this $75 basketball program help my kid. Like, why do I got to spend so much bucks on my kid to play this sport? 
All right, well, here we go on this one. Your kid, isn't it smart for your kid to be around other kids to show an example and be a light to maybe pull them out and have friendships that show them something different than the context they're in already? Isn't it a good opportunity for you as a parent to maybe socialize with other parents around that community? Isn't it a good idea to maybe even inspire the coaches to help do other things within that community? Maybe you find something going on there with a coach or a parent or a kid that you can have an influence on. Man, that 75 bucks goes a long way and it's not just a one-time thing. You gotta spend weeks with those kids, right? You gotta invest some timeline. You have some time to, to get into those things. Guys, you ready for this one? I'm helping you out big time. How does spending this much money on my Xbox help me with my relationship with God? Women, you're about to be, you're about to be taught. <laughs> because if you buy an Xbox, you can maybe get an Xbox Live account so that you can get online with future college or high school students that maybe have Xboxes themselves and that you guys can socialize online and you guys can talk about cool things. And that's an opportunity for follow-up, but also you can use that Xbox in your own house for fellowship with maybe people who are maybe closed off and reserved. Maybe Xboxes are the way for them to come out of their shell to get them to talk to you and spend time with those things. That's what happened with Sean Trollard at spring break with board games. And so I can justify board games, so I can justify video games too. It can bring you out of all these different areas and do these things. And so there's great opportunity in spending money on an Xbox. Did I sell it well, boys? I sure did. Now, let me give you the opposites, though. Because if you don't know how to use these things then it is very selfish. So if you go and spend 10 or $12 at a restaurant and you sit there the whole time not talking to anybody and you didn't really like your food and you just kind of spent and wasted an hour of your life, yeah, that's $12 not very well spent. If you put your kid into a sports program and you just drop them off and pick them up and you don't socialize with anybody and it's all about your kid reliving your glory days through your kids. And it's all about them and the status and the achievements of what they're going to do, accomplish in this sport. Yes, that was a waste of $75 for that program. If you buy an Xbox and you don't use it with anyone else around, you just bought it for solo games, you bought it for single player games, you bought it for when nobody else is around the house and you just want to play your one player games by yourself with nobody else. Yes, that is a waste of $300 for whatever that game system was. You see what I'm saying here? Every single dollar you spend can be justified to be used for God. But every single dollar spent is not used that way. It's, it's been used as an excuse to justify God. Because I know multiple guys who have Xboxes that try to use that excuse, but they never use it as an opportunity. I know multiple parents that try to justify their kids being in sports, but there's never an opportunity. I know multiple people who spend their money on extravagant foods and places and, and go all over the place, but they, they miss the point of opportunity. You see, giving back what God has given us in your finances is huge. I didn't even touch on tithing. You know, obviously there is a, a percentage of that money that should be given to the church because you should trust the church and how the church operates. And once again, that's a hot topic, right? Because of looking in the world and the media and how churches use money. But that's why you need to buy in and invest into a church that you believe and you trust what they're using. If you're part of here at the Crossings Church, I would expect you to trust how we use the money that you give us. If you don't, then don't be a part of this church. Don't give money to this church. Go find another church that you trust how they use the money. But my wife and I, we give money to this church because we see what it goes to. I don't get a bigger salary the more money we get. I wish sometimes, but it's not gonna happen. <laughs> like, I'm fine with what I got. But that's not what the money's used for here. It's, it's, it's used to funnel into our ministries to fund more opportunities. We don't use it to justify getting bigger, nicer things. We use it to justify purposes to give back what God has given us. And everybody's billfold to do the same. You want to know if somebody's really worshiping God with their money? Look at their bank account. See what every little thing that they bought is and what it's going to. And maybe you should challenge yourself on that. Maybe go look at your bank account last week and look at all the bills that came out and justify every single one of those purchases. 
Say, can I, can I justify how I can use this for God? I can tell you how you can use it, but have you been using it that way? All right, the last one. The last one, a, a last way to worship. I'm, I'm kind of late here. Like I said, I was crying today, so you got to give me an excuse, right? Um, by being baptized and sacrificing self. By being baptized and sacrificing self. And if you've been baptized, you already know this. If you haven't, well, you're about to become woke, all right? In Colossians 2.12, it says, Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. You see, being baptized is the ultimate expression of showing worship because to, to die to self doesn't really happen until you go underneath the water. You see, you can say that and you can start applying that, but God says, no, no, no. Through God's word, it's very clear through multiple scriptures that the point of dying to self happens underneath that water because it is a symbolism of being buried just as Christ was so that we can once again die to old self, be raised anew. In Ephesians 2.22, it says, In Christ's body you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So when we talk about baptism, we talk about dying to self, my challenge to you guys is if you haven't been baptized, you better look into that. Because it truly is a way to show worship to God, saying, I'm going to die to self, and the scriptures say that if I want to truly die to self wholeheartedly, I'm going to go underneath the water to make sure that happens. And so, like I said, there are seven points today that we talked about, and it's a lot. But I want you guys to digest and look through these seven things and say, once again, there's maybe areas that you're really well in these areas, and maybe there's a couple that you're not. But when we talk about worship, it's, it's, it's a culminating of all of these things. And I want to challenge each and every one of you guys today to look through these things and look at worship in your life and your heart and say, am I trying my best in all of these areas? Because then and only then, when we choose to worship like that, will we see the benefits and the blessings of what God is trying to do with us in our own lives. In your guys' bulletin, there is a communication card that I want you guys to pull out because, once again, this is an opportunity of a form of worship to be able to get that help that God is wanting you to get, to be able to find other people in your life. Listening and responding to God's word starts with this card. Point number one starts with this card because this is your opportunity to respond to what you heard today to show God that you're taking your relationship with him seriously. If you need help with any of these areas... Those hard, difficult things that I was talking about. Maybe you have some of those going on in your life too and you don't know how to talk about those things. Check that you'd like to, to, to be a part of a small group to talk with other people about those things. If you've just never really gotten into God's Word to know how to respond to it, maybe check that you'd like a Bible study and get into God's Word and see what God has to say about that. But I really want to encourage you guys that this is your first step of responding in a way that shows you truly want to worship God and you want to be a part of His life. Here at the Crossings Church, we truly value small groups. We truly value the ideas of relationships, and I really want to encourage you guys that you can be a part of that as well. So whatever it is that you guys need, maybe write a prayer request down, maybe have other people be involved in that, whatever it may be, I encourage you guys to take advantage of that card. We're glad that you guys are here, um, and I really hope that you guys will come back. Um, I'll be out of town next week for the marriage retreat, but I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to have a congregation like this, have a family like this, and... Um, I'm just excited to see what God's going to do with us and through us whenever we choose to wholeheartedly worship Him the way that He wants us to, not the way that we want to. Um, so let me say a prayer, and then uh, the worship team will come up here and, and wrap us up. God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about worship. Um, when I saw that this was my topic, I was like, oh, geez. Um, I know that this is, a, this is definitely a weakness of mine. But God, it's, it's always the best to talk about weaknesses because it makes me look at my life and say, what do I need to improve on? Um, and God, I know that I definitely have lots of weaknesses based on this uh, sermon. And I pray that, you know, the, the, the congregation here, we can look at this as well and look at our lives and look at the things that we struggle with, and we can do the same, Lord. So thank you again for your son. Thank you again for the opportunities to change. Thank you again for the, the windows to be able to recommit to you and just the different ways to worship you. And just now I pray. Amen.